good people need to come together and create an orbit right now. And I don't want to sound too esoteric about it, but I genuinely believe this and I try to live this every day in my life. And the beauty of the interaction with Little Kitchen Academy, with the people who founded it and are working there and the advisory is, I believe everybody shares those same values. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. One of the things I love about walking into Little Kitchen Academy is the number of stories behind what you see, hear, smell, touch, and if you're lucky, taste. From the community table made from recycled chopsticks to the individual chef coats to the organic growing wall, everything in each location has a purpose. Nothing is there by mistake. In fact, there's even specific footwear for the students to try on and use during classes. And what might surprise you is that footwear is supplied by Birkenstock. That's right, Birkenstock. So how and why does a company known more for its sandals become a global partner with a cooking academy for children? Who better to answer those questions than David Kahn, the CEO of Birkenstock Americas and an advisory board member at Little Kitchen Academy. David spent his career working for some of the biggest shoe brands on the planet and was good enough to walk me through why Little Kitchen Academy is such a good fit for him. I have to ask, as somebody who worked in the Macy's shoe department and got their whole athletic section going, to someone who worked at Nike, Reebok, and now Birkenstock, how many pairs of shoes do you own? Fair question for me. For my wife, it might uh, border on uh, unfair because the number is definitely in the triple digits. For me, I'm actually pretty disciplined. So I would say... I've got a closet full, but I end up wearing the same two or three Birkenstocks all the time. And the only time I'm not in Birkenstocks is when I'm doing something, you know, sports related. When you were growing up, was there a pair of shoes you had to have? Because I think anybody who's played sports growing up, at some point there was a pair they wanted. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. I have some things that I got from my parents' basement from back when I was growing up. And it was actually before the industry, I don't want to date myself, but it was before the industry really existed with like sneaker heads and sneaker collectors. And on my high school notebooks, I have scribbled drawings of sneakers. So I was that guy who was kind of sketching sneakers before there really was an industry. And I'll never forget you know, there, there was a kid, it must have been like ninth grade, I grew up in Brooklyn, and there was a kid who came to school with these Pumas on, back when Walt Frazier, the Puma Clydes, and I remember this was like, it almost like knocked me on my rear end, it was like, oh my God, it was like the first person I ever saw wearing like non-like little canvas, like, you know, skippy shoes, it was crazy. 
we all went through that and you saw somebody wearing a pair of shoes. And when I was growing up, it was Jordans and we could never afford a pair, but boy, did I want Jordans. And I had a pair of flights that was cool. And then I went through my Reebok pump phase and you know, all of them a lot better than I do. But do you ever feel like you were preparing for a career in the shoe industry with not ever really knowing about it? You know, when you think about a lot of successful and and people that have kind of like maybe you would say are actualizing their potential in the world, there's always some indicator that there was something like some little nugget that they were, you know, it's like the guy who's always like sketching uh, houses and he becomes an architect or the guy who's like, you know, you, you can listen to some famous broadcasters and They have tapes of back when they were like kids, like in their room broadcasting, you know, games like play by play. I think everybody just kind of has some internal little nugget that somehow if you're fortunate enough and you're lucky enough and the planets line up, you get to turn into something that's maybe beyond the scope of what you really thought. I feel very fortunate that my entire adult life has revolved around a category that I felt an affinity for at a at a pretty early age and I can still walk into an athletic footwear store and pick up a shoe or look at something for the first time and still go, wow, that is just a piece of beauty. Well, and I imagine you feel the same way about Birkenstock. And when people walk into Little Kitchen Academy, I think one of the things that probably surprises them, if they don't know, is that Birkenstock is in there. And that is Little Kitchen Academy's global footwear partner. How did that come about? Well, first off, you know, Birkenstock is a, as a guy who's a brand guy, Birkenstock is a very unique brand, a very unique culture, a very unique organization. I mean, there are companies with heritage and brands with heritages and history and authenticity. We date back to 1774 in a small village in Germany when a gentleman named Johann Birkenstock just hung a shingle outside of his home that said the word shoemaker. You know, here we are 240 plus years later, and we took one of the most simplest inventions, this idea of creating a bed for your foot, a foot bed, and we've just unlocked it, and it's become something so special to so many people. And I met Brian Curran, obviously connected to Little Kitchen Academy back in the pre-Little Kitchen Academy days when he was running a company called Flip Flop Shops. And he actually cold called me like, hey, I'm running flip flop shops and nobody from Birkenstock has ever sold us or returned my phone call. And it was like, geez, you're the CEO of the company and you're calling me like, wow, you must really want our brand. It was a perfect fit. We met very much kindred spirits. And when him and Felicity had the idea before there was even a location for Little Kitchen Academy. And I remember I was sitting in an airport and he shared it with me. And I remember hearing him talk about it. First off, the passion that goes into Little Kitchen Academy is the same passion that goes into our brand. The fact that when you walk into Little Kitchen Academy and you put on your chef's jacket and you put on your Birkenstocks, You are stepping into this psychological, even for a child, a persona 
that connects you with the highest level of excellence at what you do. You know, some of the most uh, renowned chefs and culinary persons around the world have sworn by Birkenstock for many years. The product just works in the kitchen and in that environment. It's non-slip. You're on your feet all day. People don't have back problems. People don't have foot problems. So when Brian and Felicity had shared the concept, I remember saying, whatever you need personally from me and from the Birkenstock organization, we will be there for you. And it's really less about me and the relationship and my belief in, in Brian and Felicity and everybody at Little Kitchen Academy. It's more about the pure connection. I mean, you almost can't make this up that here's this entity and this enterprise that is changing lives via the culinary experience and teaching skills. And here's Birkenstock that actually is one of the world's leading providers of shoes for that specific need. So I think it's on one hand kismet, on the other hand meant to happen, and on the other it introduces people at a very young age to this brand, and that's a really that's a really exciting thing for us. There's a lot there in what you just said that I want to touch on, and one of those things is that Birkenstock only does collaborations with people or with companies that share the same values. So what synergies and values do you see between Birkenstock and Little Kitchen Academy? Scott, you're absolutely correct. I mean, Birkenstock kind of as a brand goes to our own beat. You know, we don't try too hard to do these brand x brand collaborations you know they're a dime a dozen and quite frankly we've turned down 99.9 percent of them when you see somebody that we collaborate with whether it's you know a well-known design house or even like a manolo blahnik Manolo Blahnik has been wearing Birkenstocks in his design studio for years. He's been wearing them to garden for years. When you saw Francis McDormand on the Academy Awards wearing Birkenstocks, she's worn Birkenstocks off camera for many, many years. So it's got to be very natural. It's got to be very organic. And we only associate with people who really get and respect the DNA of this brand. And again, the passion that goes into Little Kitchen Academy is very consistent with the passion that goes into Birkenstock. You know, we like to say we're not in the shoe business. We're not in the footwear business. We're in the entertainment business. The stars of the show just happen to be the shoes People want to be entertained, and that's what we do. That's what we bring. And I think there's a little bit of that inconsistency like, oh, a mom comes in or a dad comes in. Oh, my God, Birkenstock and Little Kitchen Academy. Like, they're not expecting it. But then when you peel the onion back a layer and you realize, oh, my God, they are one of the world's largest suppliers of kitchen and culinary and chef's footwear, and they share the same values as Little Kitchen Academy. It's very consistent for us. So that's a wow moment probably for a lot of people or an aha moment. I found out about that when the affinity between Birkenstock and LKA first became apparent. And I went, oh, I had no idea Birkenstock was so high in the culinary world. And then I see that 
Birkenstock was named the 2021 work from home shoe. You mentioned Francis McDormand, other celebrities. How often has that happened to you where either people or companies or worlds have collided and it's actually people reaching out to Birkenstock and saying, we love this and we've loved it for years. It happens all the time. It happens daily. I mean, we joke and I say, this brand is really the center of the universe. It really is. It connects many like-minded people. And the beauty of it is because we don't have a tagline. There's no just do it Birkenstock. There's no sum up Birkenstock in one word. There's no traditional marketing 101. Who's your demographic? If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? If you were a consumer, what's your... it crosses so many demographics. And in a world where, quite frankly, we're living in a time of extreme, almost hyper like differences between people, there are only a few products, brands, and experiences that bring people together. Birkenstock is one of the most democratic brands on the face of the earth. I mean, we're worn by world-class athletes to help them perform. We're worn by Navy SEALs when they're not training. Like, who would think, Birkenstock, you're all about peace, love, and understanding, yet trained warriors are wearing Birkenstock when they're not out, you know, doing what they're trained to do. And we're worn by A-list Hollywood celebrities, as well as people's grandmas and, you know, people who just have general foot problems. And the truth of the matter is, this is a brand whose products deliver. They deliver on the benefit of foot health. And I've always said, you know, being in the footwear business, I mean, Scott, you could wear a sweater and maybe the sweater doesn't fit great. Yeah, the shoulder's a little tight, blah, blah, blah. You'll get through your day wearing a sweater that doesn't fit right, or maybe your pants ride a little high in the back or whatever. You cannot get through your day if you're wearing a pair of shoes that do not fit. And for anybody who's experienced it once in their life, once they come to understand what Birkenstock is all about, they not only become our consumers, and we tend not to use the word consumer, they become our fans. They become stark, raving fans. And just like a professional sports team, let's say the Vancouver Canucks has fans, so do, you know, like if Bruce Springsteen goes on tour, and thank God his tour was just announced today for 2023, so my life will be complete next year. I don't think he talks about how many consumers are we going to fit in Madison Square Garden or the Rogers Arena. They think about fans. And there's a difference between products that think of the end user as a fan versus as a consumer. And I think that's how great brands think. I think that's, that's how great experiences think. And when you think about Little Kitchen Academy, it's less about you know, how do we get people to experience this? And it's one and done. It's more about how do you bring people into this family? And that amazing experience is something that they want to share. And I think that's where kindred spirits come together.
Well, and with everything you mentioned, including Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen is great live because he thinks about his audience. He doesn't perform the music for himself. He performs for his audience, and that's what you're talking about. And that goes to the root of authenticity, and it is why organic growth is possible. In this world that we're living in right now, as you talked about, I would love to know how you discern between what's real, like Birkenstock, like Little Kitchen Academy, and what's not, and how you knew Little Kitchen Academy was a real thing, not just a smokescreen or a lot of talk. Yeah, Scott. You know, we're living in a world right now where you don't know what's real and you don't know what's fake if you turn on the news. Some things that are real may have some falsehoods behind them, and some things that are fake may have a little shred of truth. So there's this gray area. And when you really cut through all of the gray area, you realize that there are very, very few brands, products, and experiences that are real. If you go out in nature and you go hiking and you go on a trail, that's real. That's as real as it gets. The sights, the smells, the feeling, the emotion, that's what Birkenstock is all about. It's as real as it gets. And the fact that Little Kitchen Academy was founded with the premise of serving people, of serving people, of teaching them life skills, and the fact that Little Kitchen Academy is not just for, you know, youth sports is great. And I grew up doing a lot of youth sports. The truth of the matter is, if you're not a high performer in youth sports, you usually drop out because it becomes a bad experience. Um, you know, you could send your kid to take ballet classes, and that's great. Odds are they may not grow up to be a professional ballerina. You could send your kid to do youth sports. Odds are. Odds are against them they're going to make it to the NBA. Everyone is going to have to grow up and do some cooking, take care of themselves in some way. So the fact that somebody is teaching people a life skill, that's as real as it gets. And that's what's very, very important to us. With Birkenstock, you never see us ever do anything that compromises the brand equity. And I believe that Little Kitchen Academy hasn't and would never do anything to compromise the premise of what Little Kitchen Academy stands for. And that's why this relationship is so important to us. Well, and if you've ever been in one, and I know you have, and you've talked to Brian and Felicity, you understand that it is about the experience, and it's less about the food. It's more about the creation of independent children who will grow into independent adults and creative adults. And that's similar to a quote I saw you put out at one point where you said, at Birkenstock, we sell products that bring people happiness and satisfaction, which implies so much more than physical comfort. What similarities do you see between that ethos and what Little Kitchen Academy is now bringing to the masses as well? The similarities are completely, completely consistent. I mean, you know, changing lives from scratch, bringing people happiness and satisfaction. That's about as simple as a company's mission statement can get. And we remind people every day, is it about doing X metric and reaching X financial target? Absolutely. But we don't focus on 
the target this month is X in dollars and cents, we always come back to if you're focusing on bringing people happiness and satisfaction every single day, we will reach our financial objectives and our brand building objectives. And you can never deviate from that. In every decision we make, we always say, does this bring people happiness and satisfaction? Ultimately, that's what you want to do. And you have to realize it's each and every time you interact with somebody. I, you know, I use the example, but if you go to a great restaurant and you've been getting great meals there for 10 years, every time you go in, it's the best pasta you've ever had. If they start dialing it in and giving you an experience that is not what you expect, sooner or later you leave and you go to another restaurant. And the beauty of a Bruce Springsteen is you could see him for the first time or you can see him for the 10th time or the 100th time. Every time he performs, he is trying to focus on that one person who may not yet be convinced that he's the greatest thing in rock and roll history. And that would be the same thing of going to a great restaurant and that chef needs to prepare your steak that night as if he is winning you over for the first time. And that's what we try to do every single day in every interaction. And, you know, the bigger you get, the more successful you get. I think the harder you get on, your, on yourself to hold yourself to this higher standard. And uh, that's the constant challenge for us. That's what drives us every single day. I've had people say, oh my God, I see so many people in Birkenstocks. And I'm always like, uh, there are some people I saw who aren't in Birkenstocks. So what are we missing? You know? I understand exactly what you're saying. And at the heart of the answer you just gave is a diligence not to compromise, not to compromise the product ever, not to compromise the materials. There are probably times where you can make a little bit more money on margin if you compromise the materials or a part of the process. And that's something Felicity is adamant about. They will not compromise the child's experience for any reason. How in your position do you ensure that there is no compromise when it comes to the product and that experience? Oh, that's a great question, and I respect Felicity for that, especially, I mean, consider the pandemic happens. Every live and in-person experience goes virtual. Everyone. To me, Little Kitchen Academy could have gone virtual March of 2020, and the business model might not be the same as it is now. Now, I'm not saying there's no basis to doing things virtual at some point, but the reality is the beauty of the experience that Felicity and the team were giving people needed to be completely validated and experienced. And I know that she did not compromise that in the moment. And you're absolutely right. There are so many things you can do in the moment that might be a quick buck that might seem okay for the next five minutes, even the next five years. But the truth of the matter is, if it doesn't serve the long-term premise, you shouldn't do it. And we do hold ourselves to very high standards, and you can't deviate. You know, you, you can't check into a hotel room, and nine out of 10 hotels you check in, the room is okay, and the 10th, it's just dirty. You can't. 
every single time needs to be as close to perfect as you can. And you have to have a relentless, absolutely relentless, maniacal focus on delivering the experience at the highest level. And I think that's super important. You know, every day when you open the, the door and you let the children in at Little Kitchen Academy, you don't know what those children have dealt with during the day beforehand. You know, I, I always say you never know when you pass somebody on the street or you're talking to somebody what your one comment or your one passing, the thing you may say or do or a look you give somebody. And I think the beauty of what, what we're trying to do and what the team at Little Kitchen Academy is doing every day is an experience to, like I said, bring people to happiness and satisfaction. And a small part of it is the connection to Birkenstock, but it's completely consistent with everything that's being done. You're right. And the connection to Birkenstock, as you eloquently explained earlier in this conversation, makes a lot of sense. But I'm figuring over the years, given the positions you've held, the companies you've worked for, you've seen a lot of startups and you've seen a lot of partnerships that made sense. But that didn't mean that you were personally invested and you wanted to be a part of it. What struck you about Little Kitchen Academy to the point that you said, oh, we're not just in, I'm in? I think number one, you know, it's the people, the people that are involved down to the functional level within the organization, the people that are involved on the advisory level. I use the term kindred spirits, but there's never been one comment that's ever been made ever on any conference call or advisory call or anything that's questioned like, hey, let's compromise this or let's go in the gray area or nothing. So that that's super important to me. I mean, at this point in my life, I've said it before, but, you know, we all have enough friends. You know, I don't need new friends. What you need is people who create an orbit of doing good things and bringing good things. And, you know, the world's complicated. And, you know, you, again, if you turn on the TV every day or you turn on the news, bad news sells. And there's a lot of people selling bad news out there. And when you find people that are genuinely trying to do good in an entrepreneurial way, in a highly, you know, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool capitalist. I believe that, you know, there should be tremendous success and tremendous rewards for bringing happiness and satisfaction in the world. But the fact that it's being wrapped in philanthropy, it's being wrapped in doing good. Yeah, there's a million and one people who've done tech startups or apps that do absolutely nothing to make the world a better place. I'm at the point right now where personally, I would not be involved with any business whatsoever that wasn't consistent with my values and not to sound holier than thou, but making the world better. Like that's what we all need right now. You know, we learned one thing during COVID, you know, just, you know, how valuable certain things are that people take for granted. And whether it's, you know, the political unrest, the social unrest, all the things that have happened around the world, good people need to come together and create an orbit right now. And I don't want to sound too esoteric about it, but I genuinely believe this and I try to live this every day in my life. 
And the beauty of the interaction with Little Kitchen Academy, with the people who founded it and are working there and the advisory is, I believe everybody shares those same values. I would agree. That's been my experience to this point as well. Everybody gets this question on this podcast, and it's the one that everybody knows is coming. What's the one ingredient that is always in your kitchen, David, and why? Wow, a couple of things. My wife is very into the uh, capers, and we have them on we have them on salmon a lot. And I, I think I can eat a bowl full of capers, believe it or not. The other thing is, there's a, a famous restaurant in Boston called Abe and Louie's. It's a steakhouse, but they have a salad that we just love. And through the years, my wife Lori has kind of perfected making this Abe and Louie salad to the point where, quite frankly, we actually went, during COVID, we, we made it and we ate it a lot. We went back to Abe and Louie's, and I think what we do is better than the Abe and Louie salad. So don't tell anybody at Abe and Louie's, <laughs> or we might not get a reservation, but the Abe and Louie salad ingredients are always in our house, because I'd say more often than not, we'll go, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? And we'll go, Let's do the Abe and Louie salad. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that because Felicity and Brian, when we talked about that and how they have it on their email signatures, they said it always started with an ingredient or a spice or something that's in your kitchen. And for them and many other people's the team, that has evolved into either a trait or a characteristic. Is there anything like that that you always have in your kitchen? I like to always have passion. I mean... I just think you learn in life that there are a lot of people, more more people than than not, who just go through life. And I say to people all the time, like, years go by. You know, if you're doing something that you're not totally invested in or you're not really digging, you know, five years, 10 years go by. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what did I do? I'm very, very grateful that I'm involved with a brand that has tremendous passion behind it and that we've created an organization that doesn't just talk about culture as a, you know, a, a word in a textbook, but we live the passion of this brand and every single person in our organization has passion for the company, passion for the brand, and most important, we try to create an environment where each person can follow whatever it is their personal passion is and nothing we do professionally would compromise their personal beliefs or their personal passions. And I think when you put that all together, that's what it adds up to. You know, if you, I watch a lot of documentaries and I watch a lot of sports documentaries and you're a sports guy, Scott, but I mean, if you watch that last dance that was on with Michael Jordan and the Bulls, like him or hate him, respect him, this is a guy who brought a passion that was almost off the charts, like every night. And it didn't matter if they were... 30 games up in the win column every single night, every single minute he brought that. And I think what happens is when you have somebody operating at that level, it raises the level of everyone else. So it becomes less about you. Um, I, I worked for somebody years ago, phenomenal, phenomenal person, one of my mentors. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. He's deeply missed but you know, there was a story that he was in a meeting 
And while in meetings around conference tables, somebody would talk and talk and talk and talk, and he would invariably scribble on a napkin and pass it over to the person who just spoke a message. And the message was always, it's not about you. And when you got a note like that, you knew what he meant. And it's so true. You're absolutely right about that. And everything you said about culture resonates with me, whether that comes from a sports environment you've been in or a company you've worked for or just a group of people that you've been around. We all know that, David. Why is it so hard to find good culture? Because I think most people give it lip service. I think most people talk about it or a senior management team goes off site and has to talk about what kind of culture do we want to create. You have to live the culture and you have to live it when people are watching and when they're not watching. You know, there's a great story in baseball about Derek Jeter when he was a rookie with the Yankees. He was at his first Yankee spring training and at the time, Don Mattingly was the old veteran, you know, the most respected person on the Yankees. And it was the end of spring training. They were down in Florida. It was a late afternoon. Nobody was in the stands. And they were, you know, throwing balls in the outfield. And when they were done, nobody was there. Don Mattingly ran full speed into the dugout to end the workout. And Derek Jeter just kind of jogged in. And when he got into the dugout, Mattingly said to him, listen, rookie, you sprint into the dugout when you're done with the workout. And Jeter was like, hey, there's nobody around. And he goes, that's why you do it when nobody's watching. And I think, you know, that's that's what brings about the greatness in the culture. I mean, you know, you ran the Boston Marathon as an example. You know, you think about there's almost a camaraderie of people who've ran the Boston Marathon. Like if you're sitting with, oh, you ran, oh, you share something that's very unique. And that's what culture is all about. It's sharing an experience It's putting the emotion behind the experience. And in a company, it's figuring out how to encapsulate that and ensure that you never deviate from it and you hire people who really appreciate it and become part of it. It's a really good example that you use as well because the marathon, no one's going to hold you accountable on the third week of January when it's pouring rain if you don't go out and do it. But eventually that shows up on race day whether or not you got out the door or whether you didn't. We've talked a little bit of sports throughout this, and you have an athletic background growing up. I wonder what role sports had in shaping the man you've become and and what you stand for today. You know, I think any outlet for people creatively, whether it's physically, whether it's, you know, whether it's sports, whether it's artistry, whether it's, you know, acting, science, math, I think anything that helps you develop critical thinking is really important. Obviously, in sports, the teamwork becomes very important. But, you know, it's the mindset that it brings about as far as, you know, the idea of delayed gratification. You know, it's like you said, do you want to run the Boston Marathon? You better get up in the dark and get out the door in the sleet of January if you want to be there, you know, on race day. And I think that's what goes into it. And and it's the same thing, like, you know, you know, it's that Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, you know, you want to be a great artist, 
You know, you're going to struggle for eight. You want to learn to play the guitar? Geez, I wish I learned to play the guitar. I think I took two lessons in high school and gave up, you know? But had you been that one guy who said, I'm going to get past that, whether it's sports, whether it's music, you enjoy the benefits of that. And I think that the skill set that you learn, and it's the same thing, you know, you want to go in the kitchen, you want to try to cook. It doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. You learn the skills, you internalize them, and then ultimately you get in a flow state where you really enjoy it. People enjoy doing what they're really good at. Nobody likes the struggle. Nobody likes plodding around, you know, running it 10 minutes a mile until it's that marathon day. So I think that's what sports teaches you. But I used to be so hyper-focused on sports. And I think now I've come to realize it's sports, it's theater, it's, it's, it's anything that's an outlet for people. And I think people should encourage their children to do whatever it is that comes natural to them because not everybody does have an affinity for sports. I agree. And as a parent of two young daughters, I agree with that wholeheartedly as they try to figure out what their passions are going to be in life. College basketball has very little or nothing in some people's eyes to do with Birkenstock. But I did see that you make everyone in your company whether you're working at the one you're at now or ones you worked at before, watch the Jimmy Valvano speech from the 80s. Why do you do that? We've gotten a bit bigger now, so it's been a little harder, but there are only a handful of moments where almost the secret of life gets captured on film or on tape. And I'm not sure how many people know this, but Jim Valvano, a great college basketball coach, unfortunately succumbed to cancer. And he was in his last months. I mean, he, I think he only lived three months after this, but he was awarded um, an ESPN award and he was helped out of his seat and he came up to the stage and he just gave a rousing talk not about basketball, but about life. And he summed up just everything in maybe six short minutes. You know, the three things that everybody should do every day. You know, if, if somebody listening to this would like to pull this up on YouTube, I would dare you to not have your eyes well up in tears when you see it. But it's not a sad thing. It's a life-affirming, it's a love-affirming, it's a live-with-passion. And his message to me is the most important message that I think anybody can internalize in their life. And I think it's super, super important as part of the culture at Birkenstock that that you experience it and you internalize it and, and you take it to heart. I'm paraphrasing here, but one of my favorite parts of that speech is when Jimmy V says, this guy's telling me to wrap up my speech. My body's ravaged by cancer right now, and he thinks I'm going to wrap up to go to commercial. So no, I'll continue with what I'm saying, and it, and that just gives such a great perspective on what matters. Yeah, and you know, again, here's a guy who he didn't have long to go. He could have said, "I'm just going to stay at home and be with my you know closest family." He gets on a plane, he puts on a tuxedo, he goes to an event that obviously he was uncomfortable. And if you watch it closely, the first couple of moments of speaking, he's a little unsteady. And then he kind of gets like he got in his flow and he just had a message to share. And I think that's a beautiful thing. 
And I think if more people saw this and experienced it, and quite frankly, I try to rewatch it every now and then, just to remind yourself, you know, every day you, you lose track of things like this. You get caught up in, in, the, in the moment, in the minutia of managing our lives and our business and, oh my God, my flight's delayed or oh, the, whatever, all these things that just upset people and give people angst, you know, how important are they really unless you put them in perspective? And it's hard. It's it's very hard, but there's not many people that cannot watch Jim Valvano give that speech and not understand exactly like, oh my God, I think I was a jerk yesterday. Well, since we're on the subject of passions and we've talked about things that you've watched and rewatched before, I want to know where the passion for Karate Kid comes from and why that is such a, a big point for you and how that struck a chord for you oh my god geez i don't know how you know that that's crazy um yeah you know i i grew up i i did a lot of martial arts and i've uh, been deeply involved in it for many years i actually have a heavy bag in my basement um that i train on regularly and that movie karate kid was just i don't know to me it, it's not only a classic movie it's not only like a campy movie i love it i think it's a great movie i actually watched every episode of the cobra kai that came out and i would sit there and i swear to god i drove my wife crazy i would sit there going, oh my God, this is the best show that's ever been on TV. Like, let's face it, you know, Ralph Macchio is not about to win an Academy Award. I just love that show. I think it's great fun. I think it's kind of campy. And uh, I don't know, I recommend it to everybody. No, you're right. And we watched it as well. And they lean into it hard. It's really funny. So I want to know, do you have a Miyagi-Do shirt or you have an Eagle Fang shirt at home? Uh, I think I better stick with Miyagi do. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. David, thank you very much. A lot of passion involved in this conversation. Thank you for bringing this to meet me in the kitchen and for bringing that to Little Kitchen Academy as well. Scott, thank you. And uh, best regards to everybody at Little Kitchen Academy and a special shout out to, you know, to, to the parents and the students for being involved in this. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for everyone to learn some life skills, to be involved with something in a group setting, and it's a fantastic environment. And I'm super, super proud to be a part of it in my own small way. And I'm super, super proud to have Birkenstock be associated with Little Kitchen Academy. Thank you. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 